Please turn in your copies of the scriptures to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy is one of the New Te- Old Testament books. Um, if, if you don't read, uh, I, I would all say this. I encourage you to, to make it a goal to read scripture regularly. I, I want you to read scripture regularly. And sometimes it's hard, and sometimes it can feel like, well, we're just repeating what we already know. But that's not really the case, because the ancient words have life in them. This is the only book, and I have read some books multiple times, other books than the Bible. And I I had a mentor early on in my uh, teaching experience, particularly uh, Leroy Yoder, who once encouraged me to read the Bible four times a year, every quarter. And it is possible to do with the amount of time you have. Uh, it is possible. But maybe make it a, a goal to sometime read through the scriptures in a year. But if you're interested in, in the Old Testament, one of the books that you can read that kind of gives you a, a recap, this is fascinating about the Old Testament. So you have Genesis, where the creation account, and then you have the story of Abraham's family from there, Noah, and then Abraham's family. And... And then you have Exodus, where Abram's family, the Jews, the Israelites, are, are begin in Egypt and end up at the gate of the Promised Land. So you have uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Those are the ones that we kind of tend to plod through sometimes. Maybe we should preach a sermon series from Leviticus. Um, but there, there's, so, there's something there. Then, then, so you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. Now what Deuteronomy is, is a recap. And we'll look at that. And then you have, then you have the other book. Have, uh, I should be able to do this, but uh, you, you have the, the other historical books, which you go from there to Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, and First and Second Kings. And then First and Second Chronicles are a recap again. So, so what you have is you have this section, and then a recap goes right back through it. And then you have a section of historical material, how God moved among his people, and you have another recap. And uh, the the Jewish way of reading the Bible would be that those things are important to just over and over again here. Uh, In in Deuteronomy, and we'll we'll want to go there in a minute here, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now I want to first of all tell you a story, though, before I go to Deuteronomy 4. Narita and I traveled with the SMBI choir for a number of years. We once estimated that we spent 28 weeks of our life in a bus with young people. Um, after a while, there is no privacy in a bus. And you always have one or two per tour that think that their job is to keep track of the director and his wife. Uh, I did not do the music, don't worry. The music wasn't that bad. I, I was, we were chaperones, Narita sang, and I did all the coordinating and arranging. I was responsible and we had a music director. And we'd always have this kid or two who sat right behind us and would try to listen in to our private conversations. And, but anyway, it was good. But one of the things that, that happened, did I tell, already tell you a story about a bus one time? Did I tell you a story about a bus? No, no. So one time we were uh, traveling, we were going to Nicaragua actually, which is an experience all of its own. Um, but we were, we were in Florida. We, we sang our way down... By the way, some uh, local notable student, somebody who I'd never, uh, I would never tell you, on that tour, he and I had a confrontation. The only time I ever wanted to send somebody home because he was crying because somebody sat on his pillow. Anyway, um, 
on the first day already, but I then knew it was going to be a long tour for him. Um, but we were, this is three weeks on the road. And so we were, we were, we were going to fly out of Miami, and we were, we were down, and we sang in Sarasota. This is uh, late winter, um, April, so it's still the Mecca of all Amish and Mennoniteism. And we had a wonderful service. Then we're going to go to Opelaka. Uh, I, I think it's Opelaka, Florida. It's a migrant town where there's a small MCUSA church. On a Saturday, we're going to get there on a Saturday night and arrive and sing Sunday morning and then go to another ch- small church in Miami and sing there Sunday night and fly out Monday mornings. So, so we, uh, we had an older bus that caused a lot of prayers, but we, we get into uh, Opelaka, and as we're turning into the church parking lot, um, I, we all heard this sharp crack, and the bus driver said, oh no, that's not good. Okay? And we look back, he said, look in the mirror. And I look back, and one of the rear wheels of the bus was at an angle about like this. And so there's an arm, I won't bore you with this, but there's an arm that holds the wheel straight. And the knuckle of that arm had broken. And uh, we needed to be at the airport in, a, in 24 hours to fly to, to Nicaragua to finish our tour. And, and I'm like, what do we do? And, and we unloaded everybody, got to them in their homes, and the driver and a couple guys and I were working on the bus there. And I called the, the man who t- took care of the bus while it was home and would service it and so on. And I said, this is what's happened. And he said, oh, my we're going to have to try to get another bus down there or figure out another bus to get you to. And he didn't help me any. Um, and he said, and I said, well, we'll pray. And he kind of laughed a little bit. And in the middle of the conversation, he, one of uh, the students who was helping came running in and said, uh, we found the part. But we had called all these parts stores prior to this. Uh, it's a farming community, but nobody had that part. I mean, the bus was a 1969 uh, and this is not 1979 when we're doing it. This is not, uh, about 1998 when we're doing it. So, uh, so and uh, there was a big box in the bottom of the bus, in the bay of the bus, where we put the service parts and all that. And uh, on the top, we had spread a pair of old coveralls that whoever would work on the bus would wear. And uh, while I'm there talking to the man in, in Lancaster County who takes care of the bus, one of the kids came running in who was helping and said, we found the part. We just kind of nonchalantly said, we found the part. And the guy's like, that's impossible. I went through that box before you guys left, and I tried to make sure there were belts on and all that, and I, I went through to make sure all the tools were on, and I remember laying the coveralls out on top of the box. He said, it's impossible. That's not the right part. I'll call you back. So we went out, and the, the part fit. I mean, it perfectly fit. And it we jacked it up, and they put the part on. I called him back, and I said, yeah, it was the right part. He said, I, I said, are you sure you didn't put it? He said, no. So I went over and asked the, the guy who found it and said, where did you find that part? Now, what you don't know is that everyone had been praying. And he said, well, when I pulled out the box laying right on top of the coveralls was the exact part we needed. I called this hard-bitten old Mennonite preacher from Lancaster County, I don't think he ever showed any emotions. He looks like Bernie Sanders sitting on... Anyway, we're not live streaming, so I can say this. And, uh, uh, and he, he, his voice broke. He said, that's impossible, Marcus. I said, no, it isn't. And 40 people praying. 
What is about that story that still sticks with me today? It's about how the power of God moved and worked in that, in that place. I will, to my day, my dying day, as long as I have a healthy mind, I will never forget that moment when he came running in there and said, we found the part. And then when I went over and asked him, well, where did you find the part? And apparently an angel delivered that part. I, I don't, I'm not much into this kind of uh, stuff, but it did. And it today still sends goose pimples up and down my spine because it is the power of God. Deuteronomy 4. I'll come back to this then in a minute. Deuteronomy 4. First of all, I'm going to begin, and well, I'll tell you the setting. These are all young people. There are only three old people left, and maybe their wives, we don't know. Caleb and Joshua and Moses. All the other people are 40 years old and younger. There's probably a million people, 600,000 to a million people. They're at the edge of the promised land. Moses calls them together for the very last time, and then Moses does something unusual. He preaches three sermons to them. And, and probably in, in, on three successive days, no one's quite sure how, but in a very short time. This Deuteronomy all takes place within a few days. And, and so Moses, first of all, and he, he goes right back and he said, this is how God moved. This is how it happened. And, and then he says, uh, and, and verse, uh, chapter 4, we're chapter 4 now. Think about this. All old people. By the way, Caleb and Joshua are, are a few of these unique people um, when they do get into the promised land, Josh, uh, Caleb says, hey, look, get, send me to a place in the promised land. I know I'm 80, but send me to a place in the promised land where the biggest and the baddest of the Canaanites live because I am 80, but I can still handle them. And Joshua is leading. But Moses dies before they go in the promised land. So there's three older men and, and their wives probably, and the rest of the people are all 40 years old and younger. And, 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 uh, and Moses says, And now, O Israel, in chapter 4, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. He goes on, and then verse 9 again, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth. He's talking to parents. And there are probably a whole bunch of children there. Forty-year-old and younger, they have a lot of young children and three grandpas. And he's saying... When you have children and grandchildren, you tell them the stories of how God has moved. Now, and we're going to jump over to verse 32 for time's sake. And Moses, is, he keeps on saying, you know, don't worship idols. Then he says this in verse 32. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man, man on earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, 
by war, by a mighty hand, an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other beside him. And then verse uh, 40. Therefore you shall keep his commandments and his, his statutes and his commandments. So I'm going to suggest that there are a couple things that you as parents, and this kind of builds off of what Chris was talking about last Sunday, about child training. That, that this gives us some indication of what the Lord expects parents to give their children. And, and it also speaks to the meaning of history. What is the point of the historical records that we have? What is the point of... And, and I was so blessed this week, by the way, I read this book. Uh, this is Esther's book. And I, you should read it. And because it gives you a window into David and Esther's life. Even more importantly, when Esther is gone someday, and young David will read this book, it gives him a window into how God moved in his mother and father's life. I think that in, in our hurry and in our... Uh, maybe our own fears and insecurities, we sometimes miss something very important in Scripture is that you as adults, as parents, are called to tell your children the stories. Note, note what note Moses tells them here. For ask now of the days of, that are past. What, what happened in your past? How did God redeem you? Why are these stories important? Why is it important to know that that? Grandma and Grandpa moved somewhere. Why is, is Esther's story important about the way she was able to forgive? Ask now of the days that are past. And then it says, so that you, whether such a great thing has ever happened. Did you ever sit down and tell your children, just sit down and tell your children, you know, children, God delivered me from the hands of the devil. You know why the story that, uh, of that knuckle part, I, I still don't remember what the part was called. Uh, something with the tie rod end that held the, the wheel straight. That story is so powerful because it reflects a fact that God moved, right? There's this miracle that happened. The miracle in your own life. The miracle of how God has redeemed you and is redeeming you is worth telling your children. You know what is more powerful for your children than, uh, than good evangelistic Sunday school material and, and solid Sunday school material? It's when their mom and dad sit them down and say, I, I don't care how old they are, you can start very young and tell them how God has delivered you. Tell them the story of God moving in your life. That is more powerful than uh, doing everything properly. Because it reflects something. It reflects something about you, and it reflects that you care enough about them that you're giving them your story. I think you should all write this book. What would your book look like? You know what this book is? This book isn't this, oh, I'm so, I've had it so hard kind of book. This book is a story of God's deliverance. And so, even more importantly, is this book. So how has God moved in your life? Maybe you're not telling your children. By the way, Narita and I don't have in our children, and Theo doesn't get this part. 
But I'm choosing to tell nieces and nephews and people in my life, doesn't even have to be family, about how God has moved. Because as we think about the, the story of the bus, I don't know what you're facing this week. But maybe this week when you're facing something, you can think, well, you know, God does do miracles. That, that, that is not, this book or this story or my stories about how God has moved, or your stories about how God has moved is not bragging. It's about deliverance. And you know what this book is about? This book is about delivering us from the power of the evil one and redeeming us into God's family so that we can engage people with the story of God's love. So ask now of the days that are past. That's why history is so important. That's why next Sunday night you should all come to Behold. And this is not, I was going to preach this the Sunday we were going to go to Behold. I know that. But, uh, and, and I want to end now with one other uh, passage. So, so let's just think about this. Why is our history as a people important? Why is it important for us to understand who we are? And next Sunday evening, you'll, you'll hear the story of Dirk Willems. You'll hear the story of Margaret Hottinger. You'll hear the story of uh, Jonas Stutzman, whether we like it or not. Uh, when, we, when we engage those kinds of stories, uh, some of them cause us to reflect and say, no, I don't want to live like that. Others cause us to think, you know what, I want to I live like that. And the Bible is full of both. You know, the Bible is not full of all stories where, where these people were, were good and everything worked out good at the end. The Bible also has stories like um, Koran. I just read this story. Isn't, isn't that the guy's name where the earth split up and swallowed? Yeah! You could make really good movies out of the Old Testament, by the way. There is some powerful stuff. I'm reading through some of the Old Testament. And there are some really... Uh, wild stories in there. And, and they're not fables or fiction. They're stories. But they're stories, and, and in equal, the story always has the same meter to it. The story always has a hero, an anti-hero, a villain, and then a consequence. And again, some of the stories we don't know. This is just a, a powerful story, and you'll hear it again next Sunday night. By the way, the next Sunday evening, we are planning to have it at Behold. The story of Dirk Willems, I told that story again, this, uh, and, and I'll tell you more about the story. Dirk Willems is a man who lost his life in 1569 for, for turning around and for, for doing good. He lost his life because of his belief, but also for doing good. And, and he, was, he, was, he had escaped prison, I'm not going to want, don't want to give away all the story, but he had escaped prison, and because he stopped and did a good deed, he was recaptured. And when he was recaptured, he was put back into prison, and two and a half weeks later, he lost his life. Now, do you ever think that in those two and a half weeks that Dirk thought, I wonder if I did the right thing by stopping? I wonder if I did the right thing by, by helping? I'm sure he did. He's human. These are not superheroes, by the way. They're humans. They die. But, and he would not know that 450 years later, his story would still be told. And neither does Moses. We can, it's easy for us to assume in the, in the Bible, uh, Jesus does know 
but in, it's easy for us to assume in the Bible that these people would know that 2,000 years or 4,000 years later, we'd be reading their story and we'd get this powerful moral lesson saying, oh yeah, that's why we don't do this. No, they didn't know. They're humans. They died without knowing. And when you die without knowing, you don't know what your legacy will be. And we should be, what we need to do though, is be less concerned about what are people going to say 400 years from now, as in, how am I living that will, that will cause my life to impact people today? So, so God puts some practical legs to this story. In Joshua 4, so if, Joshua 4 now, so, so first chap, uh, 30 chapters of Deuteronomy are Moses' sermons. If you think my sermons are long, read those. Um, Deuteronomy, and then he dies. Then Moses dies, and no one knows where Moses is buried. I find this really fascinating. Moses goes up on the mountain, and he and God have a pact, and Moses dies. There is not, Moses' grave isn't even marked. And uh, God understood this because he, he thought that most likely the children of Israel would be tempted to worship Moses' grave. And so he didn't want them to. So then Joshua is put in charge. Now Joshua uh, immediately says, boy, I'm not sure I can do this. And Moses and, and God tell him. And, and then they, they have this miraculous event. They, they decide that now it's time. All the 40 years are culminated in this moment. They're at the edge of the promised land. They're ready to cross the river. And, the, and Moses says, okay, take the ark. Or Joshua says, take the ark. And they take the ark. And the, the priest's feet go out for the water and the water parts. Can you imagine what people thought? At that moment, the water just parted. And they walked through. Now, I, I wonder what the children of Israel thought. I wonder if the little kids would run over and say, but the, it says the water stood up uh, 20 miles upstream. I wonder what the, the pagan cultures around them thought when the, when the children of Israel walked through. In fact, later they, they were really scared. Rahab tells us that they were really scared because they, they saw how they crossed the river. And then Joshua tells the people, now, I, we, we need to do one more thing. And he's doing this at the commands of God. He says, I want you to pick out a stone. I want one man from every tribe to pick a stone out from the river. Uh, get this. So the tribe of Eli and the tribe of Reuben, 12 men, they probably picked the stoutest men. And they didn't go in and pick a little stone out. They went in and got the biggest stone they could carry. And they put those 12 stones on a pile. Do you ever wonder what that's all about? So, so they put the 12 stones on the pile, and then, and then Joshua, in chapter 4 of Joshua, God tells them what, what this is about. And he says this, When the people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, they encamped at Gilgal. And those 12 stones, which they took out of Jordan, in verse 20, Joshua set up at Gilgal, and he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in the time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over Jordan on dry ground today. Joshua chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over Jordan on dry ground. You shall let your children know. You're You're supposed to set up these places that make your children curious and say, Dad, 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 what, what, what is that pile of stones? And then you tell them how I delivered you. And, and when we think about our stories from history, your own stories, what, what are ways that you can set up piles of stone that make your children say, Dad, Dad, why do we do this? 
Or, Dad, what is this all about? Dad, why do we go to church? All these stories, and I, this, by the way, doesn't mean distinctive dress. This is much bigger than that. It could be that, but it's much bigger than that. It's about how God has redeemed us. Now, these stones show up later in Scripture. Do you know they show up later? 2,000 years after this point, roughly, a rough, rugged man is baptizing people in the Jordan River. And he's baptizing people at the very spot where the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River. Isn't there? John the baptizer baptizes at the very spot where God delivered his people. Took them down into the river and brought them back up. And the Pharisees come down and say, what are you doing out here, you rough-looking man with camel's hair and, and eating locusts? What are you doing? And he points to them and says, you bucket of snakes. Your mother was a snake. I haven't been quite able to do that yet to people. Generation of vipers. What did the Jews rely on for deliverance at by now, by Jesus' time? Their history, their past. Oh, we're such good people. Look at us. We've been God's people for 2,000 years. And John the Baptist said, you come from a generation of vipers, snakes. He said if God wanted to, he could, from this very pile of stones, bring up a people for himself. What do you think that pile of stones was? Every Jew knew about that pile of stones. John is pointing to that very pile of stones, most likely, and saying, you know what? God delivered our people from the past. He will deliver us again, and he's going to do it with his son. And so if our stories do anything less than bring glory to God and, and point us to the redemption of Jesus Christ, they're idolatrous. So how can you, as a parent, point your children to when God delivered you? Let's stand together. Ask now of the days that are past, did ever such a great thing happen? And the point is to know God and to teach your children the ways of God. I'm going to pray this week that you fathers and mothers, you adults sitting in this room, this is going to be my prayer for you this week, that your children, and children, listen up. It's okay for you to ask mom and dad, um, when did you become a Christian? I'd like to hear your story. What was it like growing up when you were young? Ask your parents that. I give you permission. Or dad, how has God delivered us? And then you parents, you sit them down, and you tell them, this is our pile of stones. This is how God delivered me. How he brought me through the wilderness, through the Jordan River, and into life. When we do that, I guarantee it creates a bond that is more powerful than nearly anything you can do. Jesus, I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters, and everyone in this room this morning. I pray that in the same way that you dropped that knuckle into that bus on top of those coveralls, that you would work miracles in our lives this week. 
And help us to understand the greatest miracle is not a knuckle on a bus. It is the power of Jesus Christ to free us from the power of sin. And I pray that you would give the children in this room the opportunity to hear their parents, their mentors, to talk about how Jesus has worked in their life. And I pray that you would give each one of us the strength to remember how you've moved in the past, because in the same way that you moved in the past, you will move today. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship team, do you have a... Uh, we lost our worship team. I had my eyes closed. <laughs> Thank you.